A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So it's like, yes, you thought it was a game. See, I'm not. Uh, Bishop is still praying for me. I, I come from the school of Tupac. I'm a rival. Yeah. 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 You don't want to mess with me. You don't want to what? Mess with me. See, I'm not your average Steve Rose. Hold up. Ted, I'm going to ask you a question real quick. Let's just keep a real straight shot with no tape. I'm going to get a little bit rough. Here. rough. Here. Hey. And hey. You either with us or you not. I'm here for those who really believed in the American process, all of us. You play with me if you want to. We don't stand for him. Who we? See, I'm not your average Negro. Hold up. Straight shot, no chaser. With your girl, Tesla Figaro, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. What's happening, family? This is your girl, Tesla Figaro, host of Straight Shot, No Chaser. Today, I am excited to have the member of the Lords of the Underground activist and politician, founder of 211 Community Impact, politician, all things hip-hop, do pray do it all and doing it well. I added that on. I hope you don't mind. <laughs> do it all and doing it well. Kelly with me. We are going to talk about hip hop and politics and how these things really not even about how they marry. Really, we're going to talk about how it has always been. It is our job to wake the streets up and let them know that hip hop has always been in politics. This is nothing new. We are just simply spreading the word to let them know that they have not been paying attention. I always tell people that hip hop is the founding principle, if you will, on what has always happened in the streets. That's why the message said it's like a jungle sometimes made me wonder how I keep from going under. It is always uh, uh, the story. Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta add that part. <laughs> you gotta add that part. But now hip-hop is really taking over and not just being the message from the street standpoint, from the, the recording standpoint, but also being the messenger in the political space. There's a lot of criticism where people say, you know, politics, hip-hop should stay out of politics, but no, actually, politics has always been in hip-hop. Welcome to the show, Mr. Kelly. Thank you for being here. Leslie, thank you. Thank you for having me, man. It's an honor to be on your show, and I respect everything you're doing out there, the information that you're giving out to the people. Salute to you for that. I appreciate that. Salute to you. Let's get straight to it. You were recommended for me to interview you. My producer, actually, shout out to Marcy. She said, you know, you have got to interview him because y'all have a love for Tupac. 
And I just want to make it clear oh, that Tupac yeah, was actually my husband. Uh, it's not about just <laughs> well, that love. That makes my you know? sister in law there. That's right. Even though I was in high school, everything that I do that inspires me in the hip hop space really did, you know, all bullshit aside, was really founded off of Tupac's vision. I watched your Breakfast Club interview and it was so interesting how you talked about the conversation that you had with Tupac about running for office. And I started a tagline, if you will, in 2011 called Concrete Roots. And mm. what that meant to me was you hear a lot about grassroots organization, grassroots. And to me, it was about really taking politics to the streets, to the concrete, getting deeper than just the grassroots uh-huh. organizations, if you will. It was inspired by Tupac, the rose that grew from con- concrete. Tell me about your conversation with him and how that motivated you into running for office and taking it to the next step. You know what? Before I go into the exact story with Pac, you just touched on something for me about how, like, the concrete root and how we hip-hop has always been political, right? And why I'm mentioning is this. This is because I just did a, a food drive slash food drop in our community, and we dropped off 78,000 pounds of food. It was one big tractor trailer. My point is that people said that I should call it a, call on the politicians to help me do it. And I wanted to show that us grassroots organizations can come, to, to come together, unify, and do it ourselves. But what I did do, and this is another political source within our communities that people forget. People forget that the gangs and the people who actually live in those neighborhoods have a political structure that governs our communities beyond City Hall. So what I did is I called somebody in the streets who is is very popular and known and respected, and I asked them, where should the location be for us to do the drop? Because I had another vision. I wanted to go into a certain project, and he said, no, dude. If you go into that project, you're only going to look good to that project and you're only going to do good for that project. But what you're, what you're going to do is you're going to shun everybody else around those projects and they're not going to rock with you. And I'm like, why mm-hmm. you want to rock with me because, and I'm doing good? He said, they're not going to rock with you because you didn't do it for everybody. You just did it for one. And I'm saying that to say that if I wouldn't have listened to him, I wouldn't have even known that I was turning other projects against me, even mm-hmm. though I'm thinking I'm doing something good. And that's, I stuck to the politics of the, of the neighborhood and it wound out to work, work for everybody. And I say that just to answer your point that it's so many political things that happen within our communities, within the structure of our communities and not just our local elected officials, mm-hmm. you know? So like when you say uh, hip hop has always been political, Yes, politics has always been in the hip hop and politics has always been in our communities. I'm so glad. Yeah, because before you get into Tupac, now you just made me want to say something. I see why they said we would be a good interview. I actually train a lot of my homies. I grew up in the 90s right. and I grew up in Oklahoma City and people don't realize, oh, in Oklahoma City. Well, in Oklahoma City, it was an influx of West Coast gangs. You know, all of the the, the big homies that I talk to now, not just last week or somebody I met on right a campaign now. trail. Right <laughs> Right, right now. <laughs> <laughs> where, where they they came and set up shop, you know, in 90, 91, 92, 94, 95 in Oklahoma because it was a centralized location in the middle of the country where you could move work from Texas to Kansas to wherever you were trying to get. Ice Cube had a song called Vacation Day. And so that was one of their spots. And I tell people all the time, you really hit on a good point, how politics is exactly like 
gang organized politics. Most definitely. When you look at Democrats, blue, what do we know about? And I'm talking about for those who are out there who might be banging now, I'm going back to what I know in the 90s, like when it was really gang banging for real, for real. I know people out doing their thing, but I'm talking about the original, you know, how the politics was set up. And you look at Democrats who are blue. There's a majority of Democrats across the country, just like in the 90s. It was Crips, blue, yep. majority Crips were Crips. Yep. It's always, right, it's always been more Crips than it's been Bloods. But yet yep. you look at Republicans who are red, you look at Bloods who are red. At that time, there was more, it was more Crips than it was Bloods. So I look at my homies in Inglewood on how they were able to organize in Inglewood, stay strong, and still have so many Crips around them. That's the same way that we see Republicans. Why is it? that Republicans are able to maintain their power mm-hmm. opposed to Democrats. Same way when you look at the gang territory. How was it that Inglewood, Inglewood family was able to maintain their power with so many Crips around them? And it is because they push the line and they never falter on pushing the line. I teach a lot of my homies on how the structure is, has the same thing from the OGs to the BGs to the YGs to the streets to the trap. All, right. All of the things you're talking about is organized in a structure that is very similar, almost identical to the political structure. You mentioned almost. the district, the neighborhood. Well, when you pushing a set you're literally talking about a territory whatever it is that you're doing activity within that set that's the same thing that politicians do they're organizing the muscle and they're organizing the hustle muscle meaning territory that you own and then hustle when you talk about money and the resources that come in and out the neighborhood so i'm glad you pointed that out i wanted to put a pin on there because what i'm hoping and which was a part of Tupac's vision that you can get into next. He was all about, he said, if you give me 10 years, I'll have my own political party. And it was from that idea of taking people from the streets that organize their blocks. How can we organize that in the political space? That definitely was Pac. See, see, Pac and I, we got cool. He allowed Lords of the Underground in the early 90s to go on tour with him. So it was Tupac's tour. Uh, Biggie was coming on the road sometime, but he wasn't performing it was Yane. Um, they had uh, my, my man Fam in there rapping on a song with him. So he was on the road with them from uh, Rotten Rascals, from Naughty by Nature's crew. Then you had Patra. She was she was there singing her reggae, getting busy. And then you had Outkast opening up for us. And of course, Lords of the Underground. So we shit, Lords of the Underground. Now, this is early days where we all had to share vans and cars and stuff like that. And Lords of the Underground just happened to share a van with Tupac and Thug Life at the time. He had Thug Life on the road with him. And we shared a van with him. And at the time, you know, one of my members was late. He was always late. And Pac, one day he just started talking to third person in the van and was like, you know, it's my tour. People getting on the van late. And and I felt like he was punking us because we know who he was talking about. So I started talking to third person. Like, people act like they from the West Coast when they really from the East Coast. And, you know... And then it started some tension. And as, as the tension built, the person from my crew got on the van and I felt like, okay, well, now he can take up for himself. But it kind of subsided. It was still a little tension at sound check. And long story short, the show didn't happen. So for some reason, the show didn't happen. And Pac was furious. He came to my room and I'm thinking, all I'm thinking is from the van earlier. So he came to my room, he had a blunt behind one ear and two 40s in, in the hand. Knocked on my door, and at this time, like I said, this was early tour, so we wasn't really in hotels yet. We were in motels with the outside doors, mm-hmm. you know? So he came to my door, I looked out the window, I called my DJ Lord Jazz, because he was in the van, and I said, yo, Pac at the door. And he was like, he tripping from, the, from earlier? I said, I don't know, I'm just letting you know he had the door, just in case something go down. 
because you could never tell with Pop. So I opened the door. He looked at me. I looked at him. He handed me a 40. I took it. He looked, he's like, you going to let me in? I let him in. It was two beds in there. He sat on one. I sat on one. He lit up the blunt and he said, yo, you know you was wrong, right? And I'm not going to admit I was wrong. I'm like, I just looked at him. He's like, but that's why I'm up here. That's why I rock with you. Because you took up for your man, even though he was wrong. He was like, that's honor. He was like, that's respect. And then just from him talking, we start, now mind you, we're about 20 years old at this time. I'm six months older than Pop. So mm-hmm. I'm, we're about 20 years old at this time. So he's, he's just talking and talking. And now I'm not really hearing the rapper with, you know, all of the loud. I'm hearing another guy. And he's talking about our communities. He's talking about how we need to get more popular as rappers and go back to our communities because if we sell a million records, that means we got a million soldiers that'll follow us. That's what he would say. And at this time, he said, Common, you know, all of the hot rappers back then, he said, Common should go back to Chicago. Tret should go to East Orange. You and Redman should go to Newark, New Jersey. Ice Cube should go to Los Angeles. He was just saying all of the, all of the rappers that was hot and he said, let's start our own political. Everybody, we, we might have to do something that we don't want to do. He said, we have to start youth programs and stuff like that. But then after we take the community with us, we might have to do something that we might not want to do. I'm like, what? He said, we might have to come elected officials. Because if we start all these youth programs and all of that, we need somebody that represents us at the table that's making legislation. I was like, legislation? I didn't even really know what legislation was. I was like, legislation? He was like, yeah, the people who make the laws. And I was just like, man, you tripping, Pac. We rappers, man. We rappers. Ain't nobody going to be trying to listen to us like that. He was like, yeah, if you got that mindset, then that's what's going to happen. You know, and what I loved about Pac is that he was so passionate about whoever he was around. If he was about around a bunch of reverends and bishops, he want to be the, the big the senior pastor. If he was around a bunch of Muslims, he would want to be the imam. You know, if he was around some gang bangers, he want to be the gang leader. You know, he was just that passionate about moving forward and progression. And and I I didn't really take it that serious when he was saying it. I just thought that wow, this guy's talking way over my head. But as I started to grow, and as he as we lost him. And I started to see how the industry was and see the power of hip hop. I was just like, I had an oh my God moment. You know, I was just like, wow, mm-hmm. these, this, what this man told me years ago is actually what we have the power to do. I just hope we realize we can do it. So I said, I can't just hope that and, and pray that we can do it. I have to do it. He said it to me. That was our conversation. So I have to live that, that out. I have to do things in my community. I have to use hip hop as a, 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 a propelling point. You know what I mean? As a bungee cord, as a, as a, you know, something to leap off of to build as a platform to build other things that we need to help our community. I still live in Newark, New Jersey. I still live probably 20 minutes away from, not even 20 minutes, 10 minutes away from where I grew up. It's in a little nicer part, but I'm still here. And that's because of Pac. That's because, and not just Pac alone, but that's because of Mary Baraka Sr., um, Tupac Shakur, you know, and the people of my community. Uh, my first manager, Hafiz Fareed, who was Muslim. And these are the men in my life that, who showed me it's not just about, you know, when you grow up, 
in our neighborhoods and you grow up, we all grew up. A lot of my friends grew up with PTSD. They got PTSD from the way that we grew up in our neighborhoods, you know. But the way that we grew up in our neighborhoods, we have to realize, man, that we want to make it out. Because that's the mentality. Everything is so bad to us that we want to make it out all of the vices. We want all of the the bad things that happen in our neighborhoods to be gone. So we don't want to live around that. So our mentality is to make it out and to leave it. But that's, I believe, as I started to get older, that's the wrong mentality. And back to what Pac was talking about, no, we want to come back. We want to stay here and fix the things that are, are incorrect or we believe that are not for us. Us. And how do we do that in this totality? Yes, it's street soldiers, it's people on the ground. But if you're going to do it as a full, complete component, then you have to have somebody at the table in the political structure and at the governing structure of any city, municipality, statewide. And if we claim that that hip hop is now the pop culture in my four decades of living, I've always known the pop culture to push, you know, society forward. Everything. The reason why, for those who don't know, if you listen to my show intro, I'm talking about Pac. You know, when I say I come from, you know, the, the spirit of Tupac, ambition of a rider, it's not just the song to me. It really is everything that that he what his vision was. And it's up to the big homies to come back. You know, when I look at you and Diddy and Ice Cube and T.I. and Killer Mike, whether you agree with what they talking about or not. Right. They have did their thing in music and now coming back and saying, you know what? I want to take this influence and I want to actually get in the political space. And guess who made that? I know this is not popular, but guess who made that real easy to do that nobody wants to admit? Donald Trump. Whether people like it or not, you don't have to like Trump. You don't have to respect them. You don't have to whatever. What I'm saying, what he was able to do by pretty much making now politics entertainment, because people watch because of Donald Trump. They just know, even if they don't like him, they know right. that there's an entertainment, you know, uh, a component to it. And when Donald Trump runs, it shows that, hold up, hold up. If he can do it, then the homie can do it. Then such and such can do it. So when you look at you running for city council, when you look at Willie D running in Houston for city council, when you look at Shout Scarface running D, for city council, all of that, D. you know, all of that. And I'm not saying it's because of Donald Trump. I'm saying that America now can see that anybody can do this. And I'm all about the nonprofits. You know, I'm not I'm not shitting on nonprofits, right. but I'm trying to get us at this political table. Because at the end of the day, when we talk about cities that fund these nonprofits, that give out the grants, that give out the, that comes at the political table. I always say there's a little thing that I have out one of the recordings that I say the days of using hip hop as a political fundraising gimmick without accountability to heal the story that hip hop tells is over. So the accountability piece in healing the stories that we rap about comes from sitting at the table. Facts. And if this generation is not going to do it, the generation that's in place now, move their ass out. Do it the hip hop way. Move around. And so I, I'm, I'm done with trying to get them to get it. We're done. We're talking to senior leadership. We appreciate what they've done. Salute. You know, but at this at this point in time, it's time to move around and let voices like yourself, you know, come up and not just give food out, but in charge of who gets that food. Tell me a little bit about when you ran for city council and how you were able to mirror those two worlds and and respect that you received or didn't receive or challenges uh, from you coming from a hip hop space. Oh, my God. Teslin, it was it was very, very difficult. You know, when I first. You know, I'm coming in as a, as a version to their world. This this is a process that the Irish have <laughs> been running since 100 years, this whole political process. So me coming into it 
especially in my city, like Newark, New Jersey, it's straight mafia. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by mafia, I'm not saying that, you know, there's a bunch of Italians or anything. I'm just saying how the system is set up. And the way that it's set up, it's just like, if you're not part of their team, then you really don't have a win. You don't have a say. So I'm not going to say you don't have a win because some people do win without being on teams or lines or things like that. But it's very difficult if you don't have that power, if you don't have that money to, to actually compete. It is very difficult. Now, you would think that the people should be the first thing that we would speak about, about getting someone in an office. And what I learned that is not the people because the people are easily manipulated by the money and the power. So the people who are, are truly the ones that you should vote for and you should seek and find things out about, they can be easily persuaded with money that pays for events, money that pays for little things for them in their community, at that particular time, but not continuously or consistently just during election time. And then you have other figures that like you and they understand that you'll be good for the city, but you might be messing up their structure and their system of how they approach it. So they don't want you in at all, you know, because once the people see that, then they can't manipulate the people how they used to manipulate them. I have friends, well, I guess just associates I know in my city, who I have, we seen on video taking down my posters and, you know, just all of the regular, I didn't know it was regular (laughs) then Mm -hmm, running, mm -hmm. but the regular things of campaign, like a campaign gets dirty. They might not be killing anybody physically, but they'll kill your career. They'll ruin your mama's life. They'll ruin your your sister's life. They'll, They'll get somebody fired if they're on the other team. They'll take away city cars from you if you vote for somebody or speak of somebody in the, on the other party. They'll do all of that type of stuff. Yeah, just so you know, that's everywhere. That's not, you know, I've worked on campaigns across this country from the state, the local, the federal. That's everywhere. All of them move mafia style. That's why I try to get Crenshaw them. Mafia, the real Crenshaw Mafia, the founders of Crenshaw Mafia, my homies in right, politics. Right, right. Because if I can uh-huh. get Crenshaw Mafia in politics <laughs> to handle it, to right. really do mafia business, and I'm not saying kill nobody, <laughs> but you know what I'm saying, but to push a G-line, you know, then, then now we start to take over because it makes it easier for guys like you. When you have people that run for, I don't know, because I'm not familiar with your city, but I'm going to use Orlando, for example, precinct captains and precinct chair. You know, I tell my homies all the time, you can run to be a precinct uh, captain. You can run to be a Democrat precinct captain that's over, you know, a certain about. That's right. A district leader that positions that nobody really runs for. You know, imagine if, you know, and I, I use this with my homies all the time in Inglewood. And I said, you know, they're building a new stadium outside of Inglewood. And I said, imagine if you really ran your hood for real. We're not talking about just gangbang saying it's your hood. But imagine if you really ran your hood for real and you were able to go to your county commissioner, city commissioner and say, hey, I got 300 plus votes coming out this neighborhood. In order to get these votes, we need to make sure we got apprentice programs with the new stadium that you're building. We need to make sure that we got X amount of jobs that's coming back to Inglewood. We need to make sure that a certain amount is dedicated not just to minorities because they could be anybody. They could be white women. We need to make sure that it's black you know, folks that are benefiting. We need to make sure that a certain amount of felons uh, have an opportunity to get back into the system through this program. Then that's when you run in your hood for real. That's, that's right. Any, anybody can say, you know, anybody can say I'm from this set and I'm this and that. But what about if you really push a line? And that's what I'm hoping and praying to do. And it's not popular. I've been talking about this for 20 years. So 
People say, oh, yes, I'm, oh, I'm we glad you're talking about it. I've been on this shit. This, ain't, this is nothing it. new. And, and I got because, a song, Tez, that's on, mm-hmm. on a project that I'm working on called Brenda's Son, and it's called Who the Boss Is. And, and that song comes from a real event where somebody was going to jail who was very good friends with somebody high in a political party. And he's like a family member to me. So, so he was having a dinner before he goes away. And I went to the dinner. And when I went into the dinner, I saw people who actually were like leaders in their community, like street leaders in their community. I saw directors of all of our programs. I saw four mayors. I saw uh, superintendents of our schools. So I saw all of the leaders in our community, all of the bosses from the county down to the street level. And I just sat there and I said, wow. I said, here is a guy who doesn't have a political position, an elected seat, and he has all of the bosses at his going away party. I said, if this not mafia, I said, then I just said, who the boss is mm-hmm. to myself? Who's the boss? Who's running what? Like this room is where the boss is. These are the people that run our city. So if you're not in this room, you probably are not affiliated or have any connection to running our city. So I created a song called Who the Boss Is. And it's just like what you're talking about. You know what I mean? Get our G's and our, our homies from our neighborhoods to really run their neighborhoods by empowering the people to let them know that their votes are powerful. And you utilize that when people want to come around. You vet those politicians or those, those people who are campaigning, those candidates. You vet them by, by making sure that they support and represent the things that you need in your community, in your neighborhood. And if they don't do that, then you do not give them your vote. I'm from the Garden State that's red like the Mafia. Find me in the Ironbound Persino. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then... Fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. 
It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. <gasps> what? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Stephanie J. Block. And I'm Mary Lee Fairbanks. And we host Stages Podcast. Binge close to 100 episodes. Hear the inside stories from backstage and behind the scenes as we go beyond the resume and into the heart of creativity and what it really takes to be in the business of show business. Don't miss our chats with this season's Tony nominees. If you love theater and entertainment, you are going to love Stages Podcast. Subscribe to Stages Podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts and visit us at stagespodcast.net. about putting them in the seat that's what i'm pushing for my dream would be to train homies all over the country on how to run how to get a lot of seats that you may not even think are seats of power to not let your background intimidate you i use an example i knew that trump was coming i knew that it was bubbling up from the ground in orlando i was a director of communications uh, for a commissioner it's her first time ever running in 2014 she's been arrested 21 times 21 times yes and she won First time beating a 16 year incumbent with no money. She probably had maybe a couple thousand dollars. He had 40, she had 40, $50,000 in the bank. She was the incumbent. She had all of the support that you mentioned, all of the support, you know, prior to. Mm-hmm. Not only did she win that first time, she won the second time when they came even harder after her. They came with the same philosophy that people are saying now with Trump. Oh, we got to clean up the image. We got to have a better image because they didn't like her background where she came from. But because she did the work, They still couldn't knock her off the second time. Actually, former Miss America, Miss Black America, ran against her the second time. And she still beat her ass like a drum. (laughs) Why? Because when it came down to doing the work, Regina does the work like nobody's business. They didn't want her at the table then. They don't want her at the table now. So when we get in those spaces, this is why they fight so hard. Why why you hear people saying hip hop need to stay in their place. Rappers need to shut up because they know that you remember that Malcolm X movie when he put his hand up and he and he turned it over and the streets move. They know if you ever let the streets at the table, if you ever let the street (laughs) at the table is on and popping. And I've been doing that forever while Democrats have focused on the super voter and focused on uh, those who they think is important. I have always been in this space because I know that if you wake us up, it's a whole nother move. And they have been the one Democrats specifically, even black have been the ones that made a mockery out of it saying, I'm wasting my time saying you need to go do something else because their power is threatened. Let's just keep it real. We can talk about Trump and racism and all that, but I'm talking about what goes on within our own communities and our own leaders. They have been the ones that have pushed the streets away from the table trying to make them feel as if they don't know enough, trying to make them feel little, trying to make them feel that they don't have a place. But God is switching all of that because right now in 2020, it's waking up. This is about pure vision, seeing things for what they are. The fake will be exposed, 2020 clear vision. And now this is the streets opportunity to push the line. I'm so excited what's going to happen past this election. You know, what's going to happen after this so we can get run you one time, three times, four times. And if need be, put soldiers on the street that, hey, you want that. Now, I'm not saying you saying this. I'm saying this. So this is not right. you. <laughs> I'm saying, you want to knock down signs? We knock down signs too for fun. So at the end of the day, it's time to really get gangster in this politics right. because I, that is why you. Trump is winning. He's a gangster, period. He pushes his line. Why are you mad at Trump? Mad at Trump for what? He pushes the line. So you expected him to push it for you? Oh, well, it's America. They, we're supposed to work for everybody. That ain't how this shit work. Whoever votes you in, 
That's what they push the line for. This idea of it's everybody and I'm representing. It don't work yeah, that way. No, Either you a blood no. or a crip. You, and, and if you're not, you busting. They call it busting. Right. Right. So talk a little bit about mm-hmm. that on the gangster that you see in uh, your thoughts on the Trump, you know, versus Biden kind of thing as we move forward, you know, with this election. And and do you think that Democrats are really speaking to the needs of the community? You mentioned giving out food. Are they speaking to the needs of the community and what they what is going to impact them the most? And is that what's going to be to get them to the polls? Or do you think it's just the fear of Trump? What, what do you think about their messaging on, on how they're working this on a federal level? You know, on on a federal level, just with my with my finger on the pulse of the community in my community, at least, I think that people don't like neither candidate. You know, the Democrat is so the Democrats are so confused about who to pick, who to vote for. On one hand, you do get them saying, "We don't, we can't take Trump for another four years because he's gonna blow the planet up." <laughs> you know, and then they don't, they're not believing. Biden is reformed for all of the negativity that he said in his past and has done in his past as an elected official, nor Kamala. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they don't believe that they still remember the things that she did when she was sitting on that bench. They still don't believe her totally. I mean, and then you have the other people who say, well, she's a black woman. We can't say that out loud. We need to to promote her and push her because she's a black woman and we can't down black women. So you have all of those those points, all of those parts that are very confusing for the voter. The voters get confused anyway with all of the, the fanfare posters and commercials and all of this type of stuff. So now they know they don't really want Trump. But then the other people that they're putting in there, they're looking at them like saying, are they really going to do what they're saying they're going to do? We know what Trump is. We know what he's going to do. We know what he stands for. And and on a and on a crazy note, people like that. They like knowing what their ops are going to do. They like knowing that their ops are a hitter or or whatever because you know how to ride in your car. You know how to enter your house. You know how to look over your. You know what you're doing. But when you don't know, then that's when it gets tricky. Are they with me? Are they not with me? So. This, this election, from what I'm hearing from everybody, is still foggy. It's still up in the air. You know, some people say, yeah, we're going to go with Biden and Kamala because of she's black or because we want Trump out. So it's just it's just really up in the air from, from the vibe that I'm getting. And I really think that people need to get it together because November 3rd is right around the corner. And, you know, I, I hear them talk about all the time. Voters need to go to the polls. Voters need to No, you can just need to step your ass up. This That's is it. not just always on the voters. Let's just look at the basic example that anybody can understand. If a woman can't never get a man. Over and over and over repeatedly, you keep saying you're a good woman. It might be you, homie. If you the one, you say you're a good woman, you say you're good in bed, you say you cook, you say you got the bag. Well, why you can't ever keep a man? At some point, we got to look at who you, it's you, homie. So if, Accountability, if, oh, definitely. That's it. So if we've been begging the same millions and millions and millions and millions of people, because Malcolm X spoke on this, the same millions mm-hmm. of people to get to the polls and they're still not getting to the polls, then it might be on you. And the reason why they're not afraid of Trump, and I say this and I got to say it every chance I get on one of these episodes, because I don't know if everybody listens to all of the episodes or not. Poor people are not afraid of losing something that they never had. That's right. So when you tell them, oh, Lordy, Lordy, you might lose your car. I don't have a car. People like me who've lost everything before, 
multiple times, that shit don't scare me. What you gonna say? Uh, if I'm, you might lose your car, I've lost it. Been there, done. They got it back. What you gonna say? You might lose your house. Been there, done. They got it back. What you gonna say? I might lose my husband. Been there, done. They got it back. What you gonna say? I lost my job. Been there, done. They got it back repeatedly. What you gonna say? You gonna lose your business. Been there, done. They got it back repeatedly. Anybody that come from the mud has already experienced the worst. That's so right. when you say that, oh, Lord, Lord, is Trump gone? It doesn't fear people that either don't have or they've lost before. So it doesn't make them afraid to, to lose it again because they've always felt they've been on their own and they've never looked to a politician to bring that. Now, those who are afraid of Trump in the middle class or upper middle class, maybe if they lose something. And again, I'm not saying Trump, I want him to be in another four years. What I'm saying is that until they lose something and feel this pain. And feel with people on the streets what they're calling for, what they need. Then maybe you will see what it is that you and I are talking about on connecting to the streets. I want to speak something in your life right now that just hit to me. It is a reason, not just what's Pac speaking into your spirit, but you are a part of Lords of Underground. Even without you knowing it, your job is to go underground. You know, when I say concrete roots, your job is to go underground, under the concrete, dig under the nails, under the scab to bring people forward in this conversation and to get them involved, not just on the nonprofit side and, you know, volunteering and being a part of, but really pushing for that power, brother. I hope that you run again and again and again and not be discouraged and position your platform on the underground. This is the time that the underground movement has to come forward. And it's not about adjusting to them. It is really about them adjusting to us. I tell people all the time, pick a side or step aside, roll with us or move around. Your voice is so key to what do we do next election, the election after that. What do you say to those who want to do something similar to what you did and how it's important to not be discouraged even if you don't win a race. Did you learn anything that you would have done differently? Do you plan on running again? Speak to the people who identify with you who might be saying, you know what, I really want to run, but they're hesitant um, to run for office. I think exactly what you just told me. If you have something to fight for and you you believe in, in the things that are happening in your community and you have a message that you want to get off and you have a cause that you want to support, Continue to run, continue to fight, present those things, you know, be the action. See, my thing was I wanted to be the action. I just didn't want to talk about the things that I saw wrong. I wanted to help it. I wanted to enhance it and, and, and do the things to lift it up. I will run again. I'm not going to get discouraged. It is discouraging at, at times, though. You know, you can get down on yourself and to be honest and just to be candid. I've, I've been, you know, like, man, what am I doing? But then. That's why they do it. That's why they, they they put that pressure on you because they want you to give up. They want you to quit because if you quit, remember elections happen every four years, six years. You might get a couple less happen every two years in Congress or something, but they happen in a long duration of time. So once you give up four years, if you, you run and then you give up, that's eight years that's going by. And now if you don't run again, then that's another four years or so now they have a 12-year, 16-year advantage on you, and they don't want you to run. So when you give up, now the next person that come along is 20 years later that decides to run. He or she goes through the same thing, give up if they don't win. And now it's another 20 years before somebody with that strong mind just don't give up. And then when you don't give up and you actually get in there, then actually bring other people with you. 
build that foundation from the inside out then. Because now we have somebody in and, and that's where once we get in, we have to start to realize, let's not turn political. Let's keep on the agenda that we once had before we got in. I think a lot of times people get in with those same ambitions and those same intentions. But when they get in, they let politics consume them, you know, and, and I'm not a politician and I have never been elected. So I don't know what that pressure feels like. You know, I don't know what you have to go through, but I'm asking those who do make it in before me or after me, make sure that you don't let politics consume you. Keep keep the interest of the people at heart at hand so that you can continue the mission, because a lot of discouragement comes from the people who are in power, not letting us in. Once you get in, man, you have to bring other people in, set up your chessboard, put the players in place. Because that's the only way that our culture will stay in once we get in. But first, we got to get in. And it's all about knocking down the door. You know, Pac spoke about that. You know, when he talked about a knock on the door, we're going to knock. Eventually, we just got to just bust the damn door that's down. That's right. Even Biggie and that's spoke what we on doing that. Right now. Who Biggie, you and Biggie was inspired by you. But remember, he said, right. I'm going to let the door open. And when I open up the door, y'all bum rush it. You know, he said that it's not about us letting. We done waiting on them to let us in because they're not going to let us in. This knocking. is about knocking down the damn door. That's right, man. Put to <laughs> this, the door. That's it. And you Put do that by doing You do that by doing the work. I would be remiss not to ask you about your work in Flint, Michigan. I am attorney Benjamin Crumps, one of his senior political consultants, and we, you know, work on the Flint case. They just received a settlement. So I wanted you to talk a little bit about what you were able to do in Flint and also with the water initiative in Newark. So I was brought to the Flint initiative. I, when I seen the water stuff happening, I reached out to Queen Yanaja, who is, I love her, man. She is Farrakhan's granddaughter, and she's an activist who does great things. Uh, our, your producer, Marcy, was involved. They did this Water for Life, Hip Hop for Flint campaign. So we flew out to Flint, Michigan. We talked to the people. We assessed the situation. We we. Ch- checked out the the water source and we did all of those things, man. And we spoke to the activists and the leaders in those community. The Nation of Islam, Islam came down. And what we did out there is we had people test the water so we can put in filters. We did over maybe 500 filters within Flint, Michigan. And it was just amazing that, that we can actually help Flint. But it was a task because we learned that those Brita filters did not work in the waters of Flint, Michigan, those puree filters did not work. The only thing that was working was an independent company that was out of Detroit, Michigan. I think it was a black company too, where they did reverse osmosis. So we understood that reverse osmosis was the only thing that was really cleaning up the water in Flint. And we thought, all right, well, that would be a a great thing for just to make all of the systems reverse osmosis. That didn't happen. You know, I, I just believe that Flint, Michigan, even though I know they got the settlement, which is cool. I still think, though, speaking to some people in Flint, you know, they're still not drinking the water, especially during this pandemic. It's still a mess for them. Yep. You know, they're still not drinking the water. They still have to, you know, bathe and brush teeth with bottles of water. So they're still in a crisis, even though people are not talking about it right now. And, and that's just one of my things. If If we give help, If we try to help in any situation and it doesn't produce the results that you would like it to produce, we can't forget about those people. We can't just say, oh, we tried. 
ah, we have to be consistent. We have to keep trying. And I think that we really need to keep on our foot on the necks of the powers that be in Flint, Michigan, so that we can get that water clean. And, you know, I know they say it's clean, but the people are not drinking it. You know, the people are the post. The people are the post of your city, of your counties, of your municipalities, of your states, whatever it is. If the pulse is not beating right, then something is wrong if you got an irregular heartbeat in the ghetto. You know what I mean? And and right now, Flint, Flint still has an irregular heartbeat or they will be drinking their water. So I think that that really needs to be fixed. That really needs to be considered. We were talking about building a wall and all of that. Let's build a water pipeline or something in Flint, Michigan. And then it makes you to think other things, conspiracy theories and all of that because Flint is a beautiful city. So we did that in Flint with the water. And since I had that experience of dealing with it in Flint, I brought it back to Newark, New Jersey, along with all of the people involved. And we did test here because Newark is a fickle city. You can't go help another city without you giving that same energy to Newark. So we test a couple of schools. At that time, I believe it was 2015. And we found a couple of schools that have small um, amounts of lead in it. And we told them early, since we were already dealing with Flint, look, we need to do this and these filters don't work and put these filters here. They didn't really follow the protocol. They didn't do it. And now we let it led to our water going bad with our pipes and we finding all type of levels in our water in North New Jersey. And they had to change all of the pipelines. So we got to it and they did it, but we could have prevented it a little longer if they would have listened to the people that were on the ground. Water for Life, Hip Hop for Life, the hip hop community who actually went out there to Flint, Michigan. And did the work while they were sitting on their ass. I just wanted to put that out there. You know, when people say rappers need to shut up, well, then come do the work. Do the work. You know, I think <laughs> all you got to do is do the work and then rappers will shut And then maybe you can shut up and take a break. Uh, take a break. But since people are not doing the work, and I'm talking about those on social media who hate on rappers, who do very little work, but always got something to say about entertainers being involved. First, you tell them to shut up. Then when they don't say nothing, you say they don't speak up. Which one That's is right. you want? <laughs> Shut up or speak up because I'm confused. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then... Fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. 
with the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Stephanie J. Block. And I'm Mary Lee Fairbanks. And we host Stages Podcast. Binge close to 100 episodes. Hear the inside stories from backstage and behind the scenes as we go beyond the resume and into the heart of creativity and what it really takes to be in the business of show business. Don't miss our chats with this season's Tony nominees. If you love theater and entertainment, you are going to love Stages Podcast. Subscribe to Stages Podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts and visit us at stagespodcast.net. Before we get out of here, tell us a little bit about your organization. 211 Community Impact was an organization that was founded in 2013, even though we've been doing the work. I've been doing this work uh, just being on the ground. My manager was a brother by the name of Hafiz Fareed early on in my career, Muslim brother. I didn't realize it then, but he was really instilling a lot of man morals and, and teaching us how to be men, you know, by being on, even being on the road and just talks. You know, you don't know the things that, our, our teachings when he's saying it to you until you get older and reflect on it like, wow, he was dropping jewels, he was teaching. So he made us use our platform as platinum selling artists way back in 1994, a year, well, 93 when, when, we, when the album came out. But in our community, he would make us perform at drug prevention programs. He would make us perform at, at teen pregnancy events. Anything that, that was social justice in our community, in our city, he would make us get involved. He was also the aide, the chief of staff for a councilman by the name of uh, Ralph T. Grant. He was doing so many things around the city. He would make us get involved. So I started to say, wow, I started loving giving back to the community. One thing I could say, man, hearing my record on the radio years ago with Laws of the Underground was a big thing for me. Performing on Soul Train was a big thing for me. Traveling the world. But one of the things that made me feel The best is when I can use that platform to help others in my city and just give them a different view, a different perspective at looking at things. And and hope is a mug, man. Selling hope is beautiful, you know, because when you sell hope, you got a you got a community that that want to buy it because they want to believe they want to see, you know, um, Amiri Baraka Sr., who is uh, the father of our current mayor, Raz J. Baraka. He told me to pit my bucket where I lay. And I said, pit my bucket where I lay. I didn't know what he mean. And he said, take, for example, you know, you can go out of town, you can go places to acquire the knowledge, but come back and bring that understanding and that knowledge back to where you come from. He said, just take example, if you're a brain surgeon and you go to Cedar Sinai Hospital in L.A., you've just taken your superpower to that hospital and you have changed the economic development of that hospital the hotels around it, the restaurants around it, because people have to come to you for your expertise. 
If you're the best, people have to come to you. He said, but imagine if you would bring that to where you come from, the place that you give all of the credit, Newark, New Jersey. You go to the hospital here. Then you've just done that same thing for the city. He said, it's, it's beautiful to be away and still help from a distance. That's nothing wrong with that. But when people can be hands-on with you, they can be face-to-face -face with you, it's a different impression because they can touch you. They can feel you. It becomes more realistic to them. And after he said that, man, I picked my bucket where I lay. I came right back to Newark, New Jersey because I lived in Paris, France for a year. I lived in uh, L.A. for a year. I lived in Brooklyn for two years. But other than that, born, raised, and I live right here in Newark, New Jersey, where I feel like I can help. And I don't help by saying, oh, we need to do this, we need to do that. I just do it. I just put the teams together and then I add on. I'm just part of the whole here and hope that other hip hoppers and people that are here, young people see me and want to do what we're doing. I want to speak on something before we close when you said the word hope, because I understand what you mean when you say, you know, hope's a beautiful thing. But I always say this whenever I hear that word, because it's important that we understand the difference between hope uh, and how it's used in the political space. And even when you read uh, Barack Obama's book, The Audacity of Hope, when it comes to politics, hope. We're going to let the pastors and, and the ministers and whether Muslim, pastor, Christian, whatever, we're going to let them deal with hope. But when it comes to politics, there is no space for hope. And what I mean by this is the definition of hope is a feeling or expectation and desire for a certain thing to happen. Now, we know the word says that hope is the evidence of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. But when we talk about hope in the political space, when it says a feeling of expectation, we've got to take feelings out of politics. We've, yeah, got, we've to got to take, take emotion out, out of Definitely. our expectation can't be based on a feeling. Our expectation has to be based on a demand, meaning you either do it or else. It cannot be a feeling because a feeling is vague. It's uncertain. You don't know what's going on. No, we're crystal clear about this is what we want. Or else. So when I when I speak to people about hope, that yes, have that feeling. And right now we're in a very emotional, feeling-like state. And I want people to have hope to motivate them. But I want them to understand that when it comes to politics, there's no space for hope. It is clearly you That's either facts. do it or you get your ass out this seat. It's that plain and that simple. And you look at hope as the verb. Want something to happen or be the case. Want something. There's no something. We want to be crystal clear. And there's no want. It is a demand. So I, I really try to break down, you know, words and what they mean and how those subconscious because like a lot of people when they, they say, oh, well, you know, and I saw with a lot of people being disappointed with the Breonna Taylor case. You know, we still need to hope for the best, hope for the best. And some people, they use that as a way to fall back, you know, to because it's easy to just sit back and have hope and faith. But it takes more to get up and have action. So I didn't want to take away from what you said, but I wanted to speak to the people so that they can know you can't hide behind no damn hope. No, we you need can't. you to get up, stand up and be accounted for and be about this work and actually produce these receipts. Where can they find you? And, and, and just to add on to what you were saying, like, yeah. you're right. What I'm saying about hope in these people is like I'm around some people who have no thought of any progression. You know what I mean? Like for them. Just just knowing and that somebody has done it before them, that's the hope. That's the chance for them that they believe, like, I can do this. But you're but right. You, you, have, you have to the do receipts. It. Yeah, like, you have the receipts, though. It, the receipts is what's making them know they can do it. Not just them right. coming in and, and selling hope. Because they've all came in and said that shit. What separates you from somebody else is the receipts. And that that's which, again, goes into the evidence of things not seen. You're showing you're mm -hmm. showing these are the seasons. We say faith and hope is oh, we're hoping and praying. But you don't just say hope to say, yeah, you can do what I do. 
you actually show what you've done. That's why your name is what? Do, Do it, it all. all. So it comes down to doing it all. It don't and and those who hide and don't want to get on the front line, they hide behind that. That's why I try to speak to that to say they got they got to do it all too. Don't just hide behind hope. We we got enough hope soldiers. We need somebody. Mm-hmm. We need some more do it all on the team. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Because <laughs> that's where it's getting lost. Where can they find you? Anything you want them to know before we get out of here? I just want you guys to know that the music wise, man, I got a project where I'm where I'm probably being the most honest I've ever been. I'm just letting it all loose on this project called Brenda's Son, coming soon. Right now, you can check out a joint I have with the mayor called Keep the Faith. I'm the mayor of North New Jersey, Raz J. Baraka. It's on YouTube. Do it all. Keep the faith. You can check it out. You can find me on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, under at D-O-I-T-A-L-L-D-U. So that's Do It All Do. And mostly all my social media is at Do It All Do. Um, I believe Facebook is at Do It All Do Kelly. You can check the website out for the nonprofit organization, 211 Community Impact, www.211communityimpact.com. Yeah, man, we we just working. We working. For those who are listening, again, I want to thank my guests, Do Pray, Do It All, and Doing It Well, Kelly, who is a political activist, a lover of his community, and more importantly, a member of the Lords of Underground, bringing hip-hop together. And that says that the time has come that we go underground, that we get to the concrete roots in the spirit of Tupac. Grassroots is not enough. We are going hard. We are going on the concrete. We're going to stay hard on the ground pound, and we are not just passing out food. We will be putting politicians in place, in position, to push politics. Thank you so much, guys, for listening. Share this episode. Thank you again, homie, for stopping by. You've been listening to Straight Shot No Chaser with Tesla Figure on the Black Podcast Network on iHeartRadio. If you like what you heard on Straight Shot No Chaser, please subscribe and drop a five-star review and tell a friend. Straight Shot No Chaser is a production of the Black Effect Podcast Network and iHeartRadio. I'm Teslin Figaro, and I'd like to thank our producer, editor, mixer, the one and only Marcy DePina, our mix master, Dwayne Crawford, and our executive producer, Charlemagne the God. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Delve into the visceral world of hip-hop with the Gangster Chronicles. 
hosted by MC8 and Big Steel, is every Thursday already a know. podcast that aims to unravel the intricate tapestry of one of music's most influential and misunderstood subgenres, gangster rap. Let's go. Gangster Chronicles unpacks the evolution of this uniquely American art form, offering listeners a comprehensive understanding of the significance this genre holds. Listen to the Gangster Chronicles on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts.